0: So we're going to go ahead and pray. I'm going to read a liturgy that I wrote uh, for this class and then really for the whole night. And then we're just going to go ahead and pray and get started, okay? Uh, Lord, as an act of worship and an expression of discipleship, we as a body commit to creating, providing, investing in, and participating in kingdom community. Tonight we commit to rebuking loneliness in the body. We declare that you sent your son to the cross to become lonely for us, reversing the curse of sin and loneliness, sending the power of the Holy Spirit down to be with us, a lifeline of presence on earth as it is in heaven, and creating an eternal connection with you forever. We call out and rebuke any hiding that may be taking place instead of vulnerability. We pray in and rejoice over honesty and relationships that model the grace of being fully known and loved anyway, as Jesus demonstrated. We declare covenant friendships that honor you and your word. We speak life into small groups all over the city that are taking up ordinary holy ground in your name, inviting your presence and reflecting your image to others. We pray for whole families and communities that change their lives, tables that act as heavenly embassies, and fellowship that mends cultural and religious wounds. Lord, let us never grow weary of the heart of community. Let us never forget that your heart is for us to gather with your children. You yourself designed us for community with you and with each other. It is through the one anothering that we can die to our flesh and truly become one body under Jesus. Let us always be known as people of the way. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and learn more about what it means to be in kingdom community, to be uh, in your presence, to invite your presence, to host your presence and to be good stewards of kingdom community in this body. We thank you, we love you, we praise you. It's in your holy and mighty name we pray, amen. So um, the purpose of this Equip class is to uh, help people see that groups have a genuine and real impact, that they're not just a check in the box, that when done correctly, they can be a grounding force for the body, for the church. At Newsong, if you were to go to our website right now and navigate to the Why We Exist page, you would find a couple of pieces of information. You would find our vision, which is to help people know God. You would find our mission, which is to practice the way of Jesus. And then you would find four things that we call our pursuits. So our first pursuit is the presence of God which says, at New Song, we pursue the presence of God by seeking him first above all else. We talked about this this weekend. Our pursuit number two is transformational discipleship. We pursue transformational discipleship by focusing on spiritual formation and every Christian's destiny to progressively grow in Christ-likeness. Pursuit number three is kingdom community. We pursue relational community by inviting in the reality of family, the family of God And desiring unity across generational racial political and economic divides our fourth pursuit is sacrificial mission we pursue sacrificial mission by giving serving and loving sacrificially in our homes our church our community and the world i think if i broke that down for you most of you would be like yeah i'm on board with the presence of god i believe in that i believe that we should uh, do worship i love hearing god's word for myself i love all of that I think most of you would even believe in transformational discipleship. You'd say, yeah, I think we should be reading our Bibles and and listening to the word and taking steps to pursue what God calls being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Uh, I would even venture to guess that most of you agree with serving to some extent, right? Like you're served Saturday, serving on the weekend, giving of tithes and offerings, whatever that looks like for you, I believe you probably would agree with sacrificial mission too, right? The thing is, though, sometimes we get into that kingdom community part and that gets a little bit less convenient. It's a little bit harder. It's it's an extra step. It's no longer in the Lord's house. It's now in your house. And you don't want to do that anymore. So what happens is people will often leave that part of living the gospel out loud out. They want to leave that to other people. The thing is, I imagine... Doing that as building a house with only three of the four vital pillars, that wouldn't work. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to build my house with only three of the four support structures. I wouldn't check that off and say, well, you know, the builder said it was okay because he didn't we we see in the bible there's a biblical command to show hospitality. We didn't just pick these pursuits because they looked good on a billboard or because they were fancy words. They were all found in biblical commands. And so 1 Peter 4:9 says, "Show hospitality to one another without grumbling." And Romans 12:13 says, "Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality." There will be those of us who are more gifted in hospitality. That's, that's true. There are some people who have the gift of hospitality. But the Bible also tells us that we're not to lean on our own strength and understanding to do what God's asked us to do. So even when it's not perfect and it's not our strong suit, we are still called to, do the, to, to operate in hospitality. Even if it doesn't look perfect. So what does that look like? It looks like leaning into the Holy Spirit, leaning into God and seeing what that looks like for us individually. Uh, Pastor Josh quoted, uh, I think it was Pastor Josh quoted this, uh, Francis, Francis of Assisi says, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. When we live in kingdom community, we offer this opportunity to the people around us. When we preach the gospel by living out loud for other people to see us, that's being in kingdom community. That's allowing people to see Jesus in us. That's the preaching it at all times and when necessary, use words. Tonight, uh, later on tonight, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about how living in commun- kingdom community is essential to our spiritual growth. A few weeks ago, during midweek prayer, I wrote down in my prayer journal how I was contending for kingdom community, very specifically for this night, for the classes that are being taught, but also for this church, that we would be the kind of church we see in Acts 2, uh, where they were seeing little revivals happening in homes. Fires were starting in these little homes, and they were going from home to home, and communities were catching fire. Uh, and then they were, they were coming together in greater communities, and, and they were seeing this, this Christianity, as we know it now, take place. They were seeing it overcome the greater uh, uh, trends of the day. So those people were bringing that fire into what we would call the church now. As the saying goes, it starts at home. So if revival begins at home with small fires, in small groups, we have these opportunities to kindle that fire in one another. To, sh- to show each other what it looks like. To spur each other on. To, to sharpen each other. To say, hey, I see this in you and I want to exhort this in you, and I want to call this out in you, or hey, I see some things that are happening here that I don't think are lining up with God's word, and and I think we need to partner in this together. Like in small groups, we have the opportunity to call things out and up in each other that, that don't happen in isolation, and through that, we have an opportunity to ignite each other's flames, and through that, We prime ourselves up for the greater revival that can happen inside the community. You you see, like, little revivals happening in homes, and then it happens in small groups, and then it happens in churches, and then it happens in cities, and then it happens in states, and then it happens in nations. But I believe that revivals start small. They start intimate, and they start at home. We wouldn't be prepared for giant revival if we're not first doing it in our homes and in our small groups. During that midweek prayer, Pastor Josh was talking about and praying over kids' ministry. And he was specifically talking about how uh, the kids' pastors uh, are not the primary disciples of the kids. That 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 happens in the home. Primary discipleship takes place in the home. And at that time, I was reminded of a graphic I was already planning on sharing. And uh, I had to remake it because it's pretty old. um, And it was really blurry. So I... I remade it, and I cut it, and I laminated it for you so you can keep it. Um, But as I was thinking about it, there are – what this was is it represents a study that was taken. Actually, I don't think it was – it's not all that old, but it was just not done very well. Um, It was a study done of 18 to 29-year-olds, and they asked them whether or not they were still connected to the church after they left the home. 75% of them said no. Of the 25% that that said yes – these were the five common denominators of why they stayed. So that you can read all five of them, but as I was reading through them, I realized that two of the five can be directly tied back to small groups, which is um, the home environment, at least one uh, spiritual experience in the home during the week, which is like a small group or a prayer night or communion or something that you often see take place in a small group and then also strong kingdom community, at least one faith-focused adult in their life other than their parents. For people who don't have faith-based family members around, if you don't have a strong kingdom community, if you don't have strong church-based community, where are you finding that? Where are those other adults in your life other than your small group? To me, a small group is like your little piece of territory that God has given you, He has given you that territory to invest in, to pray over, to raise up. Particularly if you have a small group that has children in it. Because I think sometimes we think our small group is for us. It's for the adults in the group. It's for our friendships. It's for our community. And then we forget that there are little ones that are running around watching us and listening to us and paying attention to everything we're doing. There are times where I'm in the car on the phone and I hear my nine-year-old being like, what does that mean? I'm like, what are you doing listening to me? Shh, don't, don't, listen to what I just said. Read your book. But they're watching and they're learning and they're taking in everything we're doing. And I'm reminded that we get out of things what we put into them. And if we want our kids to seek out and to value and to find strength In their church community, as they grow, they have to see us do it first because it starts at home. We must show them the value of seeking and upholding that kind of kingdom community. We cannot set examples of isolation and expect them to do something different. We can't expect them to go find a strong community when life gets hard when we've not shown them how to do that. We can't expect them to go find solid kingdom covenant friendships when we don't have those in our life. We have to show them how it's done and present them opportunities to find that because they're watching us and they're learning from us. So our small groups are an opportunity for us to find that, but it's also an opportunity for us to train our children up in that. And the other reason that small groups are so vital is the church, uh, vital to the church is uh, one of the top reasons that people have given for leaving a church is that they feel disconnected. They feel unseen, unloved, but uh, the biggest word is like disconnected. I read this quote a couple weeks ago, and I think it sums up a situation that a lot of people feel in this day and age. This man said, the thing I'm most desperate to keep you from finding out about me is I want to belong, but I don't know how. Small, go- small groups take up the responsibility of manufacturing your own community. So when people are desperate, these people are desperate and they're designed to be known and loved, but they're terrified to put themselves out there in vulnerability to ask for it. They don't, they don't know how. So by providing small groups, we are removing barriers for people to face that greatest fear, including rejection. We are creating spaces for people to enter into community when they're terrified to ask for it because it's an honor to receive confession and vulnerability and prayer requests of the people who are trusting us with their lives in a small groups. I believe the likelihood of the Lord speaking to me about somebody in my small group is so much higher than him speaking to me about someone I don't know because they're in my territory. I'm not saying the Lord couldn't speak to me about somebody I don't know. Absolutely, he, he moves in that way, but it's not as likely than him Speaking to me and, and uh, giving me access to somebody's life that, that I'm already in community with. When we begin to see people as, uh, when we begin to see the people that God has placed in our path as both a blessing and something valuable and worth defending, we will no longer view it as a chore or a check in the box. Leading people and being in community with them, like our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's a beautiful benefit and a gift from our Father who knew it was not good for us to be alone. He designed us to do life as one body, helping, loving, and protecting all parts of the greater body. So what does that look like? What does it look like to do that? So we're going to take it all the way back to Acts. We're going to go into, read Acts chapter 42. I'm running out of table space here. Which is the fellowship of the believers Um, If you want, you can follow along if you have your Bible or your uh, smartphone, whatever Pastor Josh called it, your idol, whatever. (laughs) It's not your idol when it's your Bible, right? Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the fellowship of the believers. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. those who are being saved when we take it back to Acts we get to go back to what the people who were closest to Jesus understood the church and groups to be we go back to the basics and we can understand what Jesus intended groups to look like now I want to be clear. I can give you all of the strategies. I can, I can sh- tell you all the the good things to do, and I, and I do. I want you to take good notes. I want you to, I want you to remember all these things. And I want you to take good notes. But I need you to understand that I can't metri- metrics you into a good small group. I can't um, give you all the tricks and tips into a good small group because that's not that's not what this is about. It's not about having an effective small group. It's about inviting the presence of God into your small group. We host the presence of God by first inviting the presence of God in. We're not trying to gather around, create a space, and then sprinkle Jesus on top of it. We are coming together in the name of Jesus and then inviting Jesus in and allowing him to do what it is he wants to do first. And then allowing whatever happens to take place. Yes, we want it to be done with excellence. Yes, we want there to be order. Yes, we need it to to be done correctly. But we're not forcing or manipulating anything. We want the Holy Spirit to lead in that. We also want you to have the buy-in of your group. That's why we recommend that you explain this to your group. So uh, one of the things we did was we sort of changed up, and I'll talk about this in a minute, we sort of changed up what it looks like for our group to do this, and I had to stop and explain, this is why things are going to look a little bit different for our group, because if they understand what it is we're doing, then they can buy in, and it makes it a little bit easier, because I promise, if you will pursue the presence of the Lord for your group, the fruits of your labor will be worth it. Um, So in the the end of Acts 2, it talks about how they had revival. They had all this salvation happening. The flame was spreading through houses. After after the Spirit descended at Pentecost, the disciples formed house churches, modeling the strategy of Jesus when he sent his own into homes. This house-based ministry was so common throughout the book of Acts that every mention of a local church or church meeting, whether it was fellowship or worship, refers to the church as a meeting in a home. House churches played an essential role in the rapid growth and ultimate triumph of Christianity. So it's safe to say that the first three centuries of a uh, house based church movement belonged to the house church, of, of Christianity, belonged to the house church. House to house ministry allowed believers to challenge the social order of the day. They became witnesses through their words, their lives, their sufferings. Because their small size, house churches maintained a family like atmosphere where they practiced brotherly love personally and effectively. Inside the New Testament house church, the activity was diverse and spontaneous, but it was always centered around the belief of a risen Jesus. We know that they broke bread together. They followed the master's instruction to remember his death and resurrection. Everyone brought food and they shared it. We don't know if they did communion every time, but we know that it was common for them to do that. Um, Beyond that, there was the agenda of church meetings it was flexible paul wrote in colossians let the word of christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to god that's found in colossians three sixteen. paul wanted the house church believers to encourage one another share transparently and rejoice in god's goodness They enjoyed each other's presence. They laughed with each other. They drew near to Jesus. They worshipped. They, they, ki- they taught each other. They, they came and did community together. Yes, there was structure, but they were, they were more focused on the teachings of Jesus and, and, and allowing God to move. Robert Banks writes, We find no suggestion that these meetings were conducted with any sort of formality that surrounds most weekly Christian gatherings today. At the same time, they accomplished a lot. Most scholars agree that the early house churches emphasized the following elements worship, the practice of spiritual gifts, teaching, prayer, fellowship, evangelism, communion, and baptism. Of course, baptism probably didn't happen to every single one. And, and you know, I've never had a group where we did baptism, but that would be cool. Um, Communicating information was another essential a- uh, activity in the early churches, news from visitors, le- letters passed down from one city of another, uh, warnings of persecutions, actual accounts of persecutions. I hope that's not happening in your small group. Um, they, they were sharing what was going on. They also served as centers of social services for those members who were in need. Young widows and the poor looked to these house churches for support. The other thing was privacy was rare. In an article I read, Wayne Meeks pointed out that life happened in front of the neighbors. In front of their neighbors, it was hard to imagine. It's hard for us to imagine what the early church experienced because we live in such a privatized world. I've noticed that when we live life outside of privacy, I believe the Lord works in more extraordinary ways. I see this a lot on mission trips um, because we, you have to live life in front of people. Um, It's equally beautiful and, I think, challenging, but the Lord, we get to see the Lord work in people's lives. It's hard to live out a growing and a stretching moment on display in front of everyone. I know it is, and yet I think this is how we were designed to do life, not tucked away where it feels private and safe, but out loud in front of people so that uh, we can practice grace and mercy and forgiveness and humility. I believe people grow so quickly on mission trips because they have no choice but to do it in front, in front of people. The Lord strips away the comfort and the veil of privacy, and he removes the safety net. And we see people get to enter exactly what God has for them. They don't get the opportunity to sneak away and say, I'll do that if it feels comfortable. I'll do that when I'm ready. They're forced to just face it right there. But they have brothers and sisters that get to come around them and encourage them and love them, and, and offer them grace and mercy, and they just get to move right past it. And then we get to grow, too, because when I have to offer grace and humility and mercy, I'm growing, too. It may not be the thing that God's trying to, that, you know, they may be going through something, but God's growing me, too. I say all this to say that if you are inviting in and centering everything that you are doing around Jesus, there's no wrong way to go about it. How you conduct the small group does not have to be super structured, but it should be fun, it should be fulfilling, and it should feel like family. There doesn't need to be a perfect agenda where every ideal is reached, and it doesn't need to be perfect. I want to give you an example of this. So like I said a minute ago, we recently restructured the small group that we've been hosting. So I've been in the same small group for seven, eight years. It's been a long time. So we've done. Like everything, We've done the book studies. We've done the sermon series notes. We've done game nights. We've done fun nights. We've done Super Bowl nights. We've done um, sermon series questions, table talk notes, emotional healthy spirituality. You name it. We've done all of it. Um, and, and I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with any of the things that we've done. We've done really great curriculum. We've done curriculum that was like, did anyone read the book? We've done, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we've done, we've done it all. And we've got varying levels of success, and that's okay. You know, a small group is a journey, I believe. But this last time, I just felt like after studying this out for the last couple of months, I just felt like I wanted to incorporate more of what it looked like to be in a home group with the, like what the people experienced when they were just past where Jesus was. What was modeled in, in the time where Jesus was closest to them? So I texted them and said, hey, guys, it's going to look a little different this time. Just bear with me. And my group's the best. They're like, okay, whatever. So I baked some hollow bread. I prayed over it, and I wrote out a a communion teaching. And then I showed up, and we have somebody in our group who has a beautiful voice, and she was willing to play guitar. I texted her that day and said, hey, at Midweek Prayer, they did this thing where they just did, like, the choruses. Could you do that for us? And she was like, sure, why not? So we gathered every, you know, we, we got there. We... The kids got to play with like some leftover bounce houses from somebody's birthday. They had some fun. We all talked. We caught up. It had been a couple of weeks since we got to hang out because of mission trips and illnesses and all the things. So we spent some time eating food that everyone brought. We hung out and we talked, and then we gathered everyone up, all the way down from like one years old to the oldest person there, and we gathered around. She led a couple of songs of worship. We just worshiped God together, and it was not perfect. I mean, there was kids screaming. One year old's walking away. Somebody stepped in dog poop. Like, I mean, things were happening. It was not perfect. And then we moved into communion. And, like, we cut up the hollow bread. We took communion. And I've got kids asking, can I have butter? And can I have more bread? I want more juice. And you're, like, teaching about communion. You're like, hey, this is serious. But also, like, they're too. They're going to do whatever they want, you know? Again, it doesn't have to be perfect. So we're teaching about communion. They're, they're taking communion together. And then we move into this time where I had two landmarks ago, I had this Holy Spirit burden to teach the kids around me to pray. I didn't grow up learning how to pray. I didn't even grow up in a Christian home. And I remember being terrified to pray out loud. And I realized I'm growing up in a generation full of people who are terrified to pray out loud. And it's only because I didn't know what I was doing. So I thought, I don't want to raise up a generation who's like me. So I thought, I think I can do something about that. So I gathered a couple of my friends and said, hey, would you guys be willing to meet once a month? Gather our kids around, and let's just pick one of them to pray over for the month, and we'll just, we'll pray, and the kids will pray. And we'll teach them how to pray, and we'll give them a safe space to do it. And they're like, yeah, let's go for it. So we did that, and we did that for a couple of months, and our schedules got busy. And I thought, you know what? Instead of adding an extra month in, let's just add this to a small group. We'll have more kids. It'll be more chaotic, but let's just go for it. So we put everyone's name in a little bundle and we shook it up until someone's name fell on the ground. And then we picked it up and it happened to be the girl whose birthday had just happened. So we're like, all right, let's go. Let's line up all the kids in like age order, because who knows a one-year-old has like or two-year-old has like the shortest attention span ever. So we're like, all right, send the two year old to pray. And they pray and they need help. And then we're like, all right, get the three year old, the four year old, the five year old. They start praying and then we send them off to play because I know that they're not gonna be able to stick around. And that's okay. They don't have to sit the whole time. And sometimes they need help. And sometimes they don't. And sometimes the prayer sounds a little bit like, Lord, don't let the devil win today. And you're like, okay, that sounds great. You know, and sometimes they they surprise you with like these really deep, meaningful prayers. And you're like, that's awesome. But also faith of a child, right? So then we get through all the kids. They weave all the way through, all the way through all the ages. And then we start getting the adults praying. And this is where you see some of that spiritual maturity take place. And now we're starting to see exhortation and prophetic words and speaking into this young woman's life who's 12 years old, and now she's just, she's not quite a young woman yet. She's just on the cusp of those tween years, but she's got all of these adults who are speaking life into her, and they're encouraging her. They're reminding her of her identity. They're um, pointing her towards Jesus. They're just exhorting her, and then you've got her parents there who are watching all of these people and participating in this. And they're seeing their community rally around their 12-year-old daughter. And I'm thinking, I wonder how many 12-year-old daughters in this city have that. Probably not many. And it breaks my heart. I wonder how many 12-year-old girls in church bodies around this city have that. I don't know, but they could, they can, and they should. So after that, we finish praying up, hug each other, and I say, all right, does anyone else have any prayer requests? And I've got little kids saying, yeah, I rolled my ankle. I got a little scratch on my toe. And I'm like, yes, thank you, Lord, for the small things. And then we've got somebody else saying, hey, my wife's at home and she's really struggling. And I got another woman who's got like this major health concern, and, and we've got marriages who need prayer for, and, and you know, we get to lay hands on people and say, Lord, thank you that we can trust you with the big things, and thank you that we can trust you with the small things. I thank you that you're our provider no matter what, and I thank you for a group that trusts you with everything, no matter how big and no matter how small, that they come to you, the Father, their provider, and that they don't have to worry, and that they know that they can come to you no matter what, and that we can lay our hands on these people and trust that you will answer their prayers. And then we finish praying, and then we go right back to community. And then we go home. And that's group. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. We just let the Holy Spirit take over. We had a little bit of a plan. It didn't look perfect. It didn't look clean. I wasn't expecting dog poop. Yeah. I should have been. I should have been. They raised puppies. I should have <laughs> been. But you know what? It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever been a part of. And I hope that every group going forward looks like that because the presence of God was there. And I felt like we did what he wanted us to do. And so I just want to
1: encourage you guys, when you seek his presence, he's going to show up. Yeah, I think that's um, really cool because it, like you were saying, like that's what community should look like and can look like. But I think a lot of us hear that, and we even look to the people in Acts, and we're like, these superhuman Christians, like, that seems like such a far goal. Like, they were described as turning the world upside down. How do we get there, you know? And and I think it's because we look at at it, and it just seems so extravagant and big, and we discount what we have. And so I think really there is a difference to. Think about when we're talking about doing community and getting together with people. It's not about extravagance. It's about intentionality. And we look at the story in Mark chapter 12 um, where Mark shares that there's a, a poor widow woman. And she's attending church with all the other attenders, you know, the pastors are coming in and dropping off their offering and, and the super saints in the church are dropping off their offering. And then she comes by and she drops just two pennies. And from an earthly standpoint, that looks so insignificant and so small, but it actually captures Jesus' attention and he takes note of that. And it was significant to him because he looked past what the earthly value was and saw the heavenly weight to that and and her heart in that giving. And I think that's the same thing for hosting groups, that there's a difference between intentional and extravagant. And the temptation, I think, is for the enemy to come in and say, you know, if it's not a lot, if you can't give all this, and if it doesn't look like this moment exactly, like perfectly polished, and everyone's falling out every time they come into your house, like, If it's not that, then it's nothing, you know, or if it if you can't give all of it, then it's just not worth what you can give. And instead, I think what the Lord would say is that he looks at groups differently and he looks at the heart differently. And he's more concerned, not with the extravagant, but with the intentional that perhaps what really grabs his attention is when we're intentional and what grabs people's attention when they're in your home and when they're in your community group is when they see the intentionality in place so how can we be intentional in our groups i think there's a lot of ways we could list tonight but i think one of those is just maintaining practically a schedule we all have such busy lives and lots of commitments that we have to hold to but i think practically just saying, I am going to put this in my life, and it's going to be marked. It's intentionally saying, like, this matters to me, and I believe that God has purposed this to do things, that this isn't just filling up time in my life, and we're checking off boxes, but God has a real purpose for this. And by marking it on your calendar and saying, I'm going to— um, surround my life around this point, and I'm gonna honor it, and I'm gonna foster it, and I'm gonna protect it, you're showing I intentionally am setting this aside. And that speaks to people. It speaks them, to encourage them to do the same thing, that like, hey, community does matter in my life, and something can happen when I get in community with other people. So I think just intentionally marking it, it, it says something to people. I think secondly, you can be intentional by being quick to reschedule. The reality is things happen in life, right? Emergencies happen. Calendars get busy and things get overlooked. And that is totally fine. But when we're really quick to say this matters and I know something changed it, but I'm going to put it back on the schedule, it says, like, I still believe it was for a reason. I wasn't just doing it, that I believed God had something for us then, and so we're going to still pursue that. So be quick uh, to reschedule. I think another practical way to be intentional is if you think about, like, the five love languages. Uh, I think we're probably all familiar with that. It's gone on a long time. But um, typically it's just addressed with, like, romantic relationships. But I think it can also be attributed to community, right? We all have ways that we receive things and, and ways that we feel like we can give. And what if we brought that into our community groups? What if we were thinking, how can I respond with quality time or with service or words of affirmation? And, again, speaking back to it, it doesn't have to be extravagant. You don't have to buy someone a car to show that you want to give them. That would be an awesome group, and I will we'll attend if you're going to give out cars every time. But you can also give just, like, the gift of your time and the gift of you have Flour and sugar in your pantry, and so just make some cookies for your group coming there. You know, it doesn't have to be big and extravagant, but it's intentional. It's saying, like, I know that you are a person made in the image of God, and there are unique things in you that I want to call out and speak to and recognize, and that's intentional, and people notice that, and people respond to that. I think another thing is, and maybe the most important thing is just to be prayerful, kind of like what Courtney was saying You know, we can do a lot of really good things, and they're going to be good. They're going to have success. But when it's a God thing, it's just so much better. It's so much richer. It's so much more effective and actually matters. And so that's the power of prayer. Like, are you praying for your group ahead of time? Are you praying if you're a part of the group? Are you taking up that mantle, too, just to pray over the group? Like, God, what do you want to do in this group? is that you want to grow our joy, and we're just, this is a group just to hang out and have fun, and you're cultivating joy within us, like praying over that joy, are you, is this a group that we are um, taking down strongholds in our family, and so let's pray over that going into it, what is like the prayer that you could pray over your community group to really come in every time that you meet with purpose and with an intentionality? And then while you're at the group, how can you pray together? Like her example is great of fostering that with the children in the room and letting them observe what it looks like to pray together. Uh, We have needs. So why don't we use that time to express it and then not just do the Christianese thing of like, yeah, I'll, I'll cover that in my alone time prayer, which is a great thing to do. But how can we right now in this moment come together and call those needs out and call that name out, that person by name, and say, I am going to God for this need right now. And then how can you be prayerful by following up on that need? That shows intentionality that, like, I didn't just pray because I want to be a good Christian in your eyes, but I actually believe that when we're talking to God, he's going to respond. And so what was the response? Did he answer that prayer? If not, like, is this something we still need to contend for? Is there something we still need to go to prayer for and keep fighting for? What does that look like? Again, it just shows intentionally that we're planning on doing things in this small group. We're not just here filling up space. Uh, So being prayerful, I think, speaks to the intentionality. And none of that takes extravagance. None of that takes crazy um, money or time or experience. It just takes intentionality. I think another thing you can do to be intentional is to connect between your groups. I think it's so easy to commit to that one time, once a month or every other week, and that's great, but how can you connect in between, which fosters the time that you're actually at group? And again, doesn't have to be extravagant. You don't need to every single day have an hour conversation with every person in your group but can you send a text sometime can you make it a point on the weekends to find them and have a 5 minute conversation of how's your week been what what are you facing this upcoming week how can you connect in between to foster and already have the groundwork for when you meet up in group that you're not having to start from the starting line every time that you're just a, it's a continuation of what you've been doing how can you connect in between I think the last thing to consider about not being extravagant but chasing intentionality is to foster the small. I think it's very easy when we start talking about community groups to get discouraged with the size, being small, that, again, it's that lie from the enemy that if it's small, it's insignificant. But small sometimes is actually a blessing, especially when it comes to community. I think one of the feedbacks we get the most that people like about the community groups is it's a chance to be one-on-one or in a smaller setting where you can actually be vulnerable and not feel exposed in a negative way. And you can be vulnerable and not have to fight against large areas. And so there's beauty in smallness sometimes. Uh, It helps us take this big C church and bring it back down to the individual part that makes up the body of Christ. Because God did die for all of us, but he also died for the individual on the cross. He paid, the Bible talks about that. He knows us all individually. By name, he knows all the hairs on our head. So he's very intimate with us. And so when we do small groups, it's a reflection on that. that. Yes, he sees us in this big expanse of the world, but he also sees us in these small spaces. And when we participate in that in community, we get to reflect on that and we get to engage in that and remember that we are an individual and we get to um, communicate with that with each other. Uh, I like this story and one of my favorite stories actually about thinking about noticing the small things is the story of the woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5. And she has this issue, and, and she decides one day she's going to go and, and see this man she's heard about that has this healing ability, and and she's going, but so is the rest of the world around her, and they're pressing and crowding around Jesus, and she has to press through, which is a picture that is not just a bunch of people that she's having to weave in and out, but there is, they're tight in together. There's so many that she's pressing, and she still is able to reach out and touch him, And yet he recognizes her touch above all the touch of the crowd. And that confuses the people around him. They're like, everyone is touching you. (laughs) What are you talking about? But he notices her touch, and he distinguishes her from the crowd. And I think that's what happens in, in small groups and in community is that we get to meet with other people like Christ does. And we get to see the individual in front of us and be intentional with people. And so people aren't lost. People feel seen, and they feel noticed by God. So don't discount the small things. Don't discount like, yeah, I want to be like that Acts church, and I want to be those early disciples, and I want to have these extravagant moments, but those come by the small things, and they come through intentionality. So we
0: talked a little bit earlier about the spiritual transformation that happens in small groups, and one of the things that we saw in the or that I saw in the Acts Church when they talk about that is they call it like the oikos transformation, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly because I didn't take Greek. So um, one of the major cultural gaps between what we see in biblical times and what we see now is the extended family. Uh, in the ancient Greek, they called it the oikos structure. Those living in the Western world, we don't have that we have very nuclear families. That's not a concept that they had then. They didn't have a nuclear family. They just had the oikos structure, which was parents, relatives, servants, other workers. They all lived together. There wasn't this nuclear family of mom, dad, children. That's it, that didn't exist. Everyone lived together. So oikos meant household or house or extended family. So everyone lived together. The God used the oikos to extend the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. The early believers modeled transformed lives and distinct values that were often countercultural. Yet people could see this Christianity up close. So, like, even though, um, or so, because of that, they could see this the Christianity up close. They would see the transformed lives of the people because they were transformed by Jesus by the gospel. So they desired to be like that. They wanted to know what was different about these people. They were up close and personal with them. So we, they would see that, that husbands loved wives, that servants were treated with dignity, um, and that they were loving one another, that, that love reigned supreme. Friends and neighbors were drawn into this new and transformed community because they were seeing it up close and personal. They saw and heard testimonies of people being transformed by the gospel. And they wanted to experience Christ for themselves. Sorry, lost my thing. (laughs) Uh, We see that in today's day and age, we live in a very different type of world. They lived in these close quarters with their neighbors, while today we live in these private houses with security fences or gated communities where we go out to eat and we leave our neighborhoods, we leave... Places we go, we go have hobbies and go out to dinner, and we go away from people. We may have friends, but we ca- we you know, we do have a lifestyle centered away from the home, whereas they lived a lifestyle centered around the home and around community. So we we will have uh, dinner and then organize our life around a TV or a screen or whatever is happening that is inside the home, behind a door, behind a security gate, behind. A closed gated community, whereas they lived life very much over a meal in community around people around a extended family. So th- this idea of being a nuclear family just you know mom dad and two and a half kids didn't make sense. So I think that even though we live in a very different time, we can very much learn from what they did and sort of incorporate it into our lives. I, we don't need to invite. Servants, we don't need servants, you know, we don't need to invite our extended family to move in. I'm not saying invite your in-laws in and, you know, their friends and all that. I'm not saying move everyone in, but we can see the primary structures of what they did and how we can apply those into our everyday lives without making this huge cultural shift. So community for them was foundational rather than optional. This small group, this house-to-house ministry was foundational. It was not a nice add-on. God chose to develop the first disciples through house to house ministry, and his purposes in small group ministry remain the same today. The first sets of community was life over curriculum. Early house church agenda was transformational and life-giving, not dependent on curriculum. We must ask the spirit of God to guide us in our groups so that life change is the norm. Like I said earlier, I'm not saying curriculum is bad. We have done curriculum that has led to life change. There, I've absolutely seen it. I've seen people go through curriculum, and hey, that has led them to life change. What I'm saying is, is we, I don't want people doing curriculum just because that's what the prescription is. We've always done sermon series notes, so let's just keep doing sermon series notes. We've always done a book study, so let's keep doing book studies. We've always done this, so let's keep doing that. What I'm saying is is you do not have to surround yourself by these sets of curriculum because you think that's what the Western church is supposed to be doing. If you're not seeing life change, if it's not giving life, ask the Holy Spirit what you should be doing. If you are seeing life change, continue doing that. There's nothing wrong with curriculum. But if it's not working, move on. Change lives, win new people. The early house churches grew and multiplied as God transformed those who were present. We need to remember that our best hope of reaching our friends and neighbors is by showing them our own transformed lives. That's when they'll want to experience the same healing for themselves. When we live our lives in front of other people. When we live our lives out loud in front of people. That's the gospel that we live out loud. The last thing was they developed leaders from within. Early house church leaders developed leadership naturally and internally by encouraging believers to lean into their spiritual gifts. We must do the same. We'll discuss a little bit more of that in the in, out, uh, in up, out method. I'm not talking about splitting, just in case anyone's worried about that. Um, God is calling the church today to journey back in time to apply the values and ministry pac- practices found in the New Testament. While house-to-house ministry or small groups ministry might look different today, many of the same principles apply and will help us do a better job of making disciples who make disciples through small group ministry.
1: Yeah, I think one thing when we start thinking about, okay, how am I going to cultivate my community group or I've been in it, how can I repurpose it and all of that, some of the questions I think that come up is just, you know, where do you start? There's just so much in front of you but I think something that is grounding for community is just to literally look at the word, right? Community is made up of common and made up of unity. So common as in what do we have in common? And unity, where can we be unified? So my group, I have a women's group. And for us, where we, what we have in common is that we're young women. We all live in Oklahoma. We go to New Song Church. We believe in Jesus. And we could list Probably more, but those are some things that we have in common. We can even start thinking about okay, what not only like the individual members what we have in common, but as a group, what are common things within groups? Again, groups look different for because they're made up of different people. You ha- meet at different times. You have a different focus. So there are differences, but all good biblical community groups, or community gatherings, all have common attributes about them. Um, they all look like Galatians 6.2 that says that there's a space within community to carry one another's burdens or heaviness of life. They look like James 5.16 that says there's created space for confession, where, whether it's sin or just a need, there's always an area of confession within community. And good community groups look like Hebrews 3.13, where there's an element of encouraging to press on and to continue on in faith and and to strive and to contend and to run your race and not to fall into sin. All community groups have that in common, right? So what in your community do you have in common with your members, with other community groups as a whole? What is it that you can fight for and have in common with each other? For my community group, we have a lot of things in common, but we also have differences. Some of us are at the bottom of the age bracket that we, you know, purpose for. Like, we're in early 20s. Some of us are in the upper age bracket for our group of older 30s. Some of us are single. Some are dating. Some are married. Some have a couple kids. Some don't want kids at all. Some that's not on their radar. Some are trying. Some have... Grown up in church, and some haven't. Some have walked through really big trials and a lot of trauma, and some haven't had that experience. So there's lots of differences and seasons and lifestyles. But even within those differences, we can all come together and be unified on something. And for us, what we were unified on is just the desire to grow deeper in God. So how that first started was growing deeper through friendships, and then it translated into growing deeper with God through Uh, just our God-given purposes. And that'll translate and it'll continue to, to morph and change with seasons and times, but there's always something that we can be unified in. So what in your group, in your community, can you be unified on? What is it that you have in common and what can you be unified on? And that's a great place to start to define your community. Community ultimately... When we think back again, like no matter what your specific looks like, all of us are made in community um, and the kingdom of God. And so all of us do have something common with that. And to begin with, and maybe to just kind of land on and cement this, the whole reason we're talking about this and the reason it matters is because community confesses Christ. When we dispel the idea of community, we dispel the idea of God because God himself is community. At the very beginning of scripture in Genesis 1, we see the start of everything. Everything to follow is based off of the fact that this occurred. And what we learn at the very beginning is that God was, that he is and he exists outside of creation. And he started creating, and when he got to us, he did something very unique. And in verse 26, he says... um, Or it says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So the us and the are is referring to the fact that God is Trinity, right? He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So we know from the very beginning that God is community in himself. We also learn that in his community, he decided to impart that image onto us when he said he wants us to be made in his likeness. Um, and in his image. So if we are really bearing God's image, we can no more call ourselves Christians or Christ-like if we do not image community as Christ would within himself. When we look at community from the lens not of obligation, uh, but an opportunity to actually experience God in this unique aspect of who he is, it repurposes community. It's no longer a have-to, It's no longer just a step in your walk with God, but it's a unique get-to experience. I think in church, we we have those common words that we associate with God, and they're all true. Like, he is our savior, he's our friend, he's our companion, he's our helper, uh, he's our provider, and all of that is true. But at least for me, I haven't heard this a lot, that he's also community. Like, do we experience God like that? Uh, but there, that is an aspect to him, and when we participate in community with other people, we get to experience that aspect of God and that nature of God. Uh, Matthew eighteen twenty expresses this idea that community is a way of experiencing God when it says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So in other words, it's talking about when people decide to get together in the name of God, that he shows up. And he doesn't just show up by himself, that he brings himself with him. God the Father is there, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son are there. So when we participate in community, in godly community, we get to experience the community of God and commune with that, which is really cool. And I think that's something to when we're thinking about our own community experiences, just to reflect on and remember it matters because I'm literally experiencing God in this way. I get to experience him in his community when I'm participating in this. Not only does that uh, operating in community help us experience God in this way, but it helps us connect to fellow image bearers because the scripture didn't say he just made me in his image or just Courtney in his image, like all of us got to bear that image, So when we're in community, we get to see Christ in others. And where that image is maybe distorted or veiled because of sin or struggle or fears or need, we get to partner together and help restore that image back to their original image it was meant for. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one one person sharpens another. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So community is a way that we get to be together and we get to experience the image of God together. And community is the character, really, what that is describing is this is sanctification. This is how we walk out our salvation. Is like 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Uh, there's an article I read this uh last couple weeks called created for community and they have a really good quote about this they say building and enjoying healthy community is going to require us to believe the gospel to believe that what jesus did for us has power and relevance for the way we relate to god and to others community is the test of learned truths. can you really say you are placed that you love unless you have a chance to not love Are you really patient unless you are placed in a situation that is pressing? Community tests the transformation. Every one of us is a saint in isolation. It's in community that our real weakness, flaws, and sins are exposed. That's why community is essential, not optional for transformation. Community is what allows us to really process with other people, how am I in this walk? with Christ like how am I really being transformed am I really looking more like Christ and we get to sit with each other and ask that question do I look like Christ that question of asking do I look like Christ is the picture of discipleship right that's what the disciples were doing is they were gathering around Jesus closely to say like I want to look like you teach me how to pray teach me how to do this and that's what we're doing when we're in community: is do you see Christ in me? Do you see? Do I see Christ in you? Uh, Wikipedia talks about that biblical discipleship is, was defined as actively imitated, or a disciple was actively imitated both the life and the teaching of the master. It was a deliberate apprenticeship, which made the fully formed disciple a living copy of the master. And so they were described as an apprentice at that time would walk so closely with their master that the dust from their feet would kick up and cover them because they wanted to be that close to look that much like them and learn from them and not miss anything along the way. This summer in New Song students, we got to do an apprenticeship program with our students. And we define that for them as someone who has decided to follow another person to become capable of doing what that person does or become who that person is. Dallas Willard describes discipleship and uh as, or the process of becoming a disciple like this, we are learning from Jesus to live our lives as he would live our life if he were us. I'm not necessarily learning to do everything he did, but I am learning how to do everything I do in the manner that he did all he did. So community is how we practice that out. It's how we practice being transformed. It's how we practice the way of Jesus. And it's the venue where discipleship can be practiced and encouraged and lived and reinforced and corrected and edified so that each of us are truly following after jesus proof of that is not just seen in isolation because that's where a lot of people get in danger the bible talks about that the heart is deceitful who can know it and when you're in isolation sometimes if you are struggling you don't know you're struggling because you're blind to those things So getting in community is the part where we can take off that veil and and really look at each other and say, you look like Jesus, or let's do this so we can look like Jesus more. And all of that, all of that transformation process, all of that discipleship and coming together in community is the process of confessing Christ. So
0: all of this to say that the process of inviting the presence of God in should be producing spiritual growth. Spiritual growth in and of itself is communal. Can spiritual growth take place in isolation? It can to an extent, but how do you test it, right? You you can, you can grow in discipleship and some of these things in isolation, but you're to only to an extent because you can't test it, right? So I think that sometimes in groups, or uh, outside of groups that we can be, we can kind of have this thing of like, it can be hard to foster growth. But the Bible exhorts us in Colossians 128 to admonish and teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. The Bible is clear on this, giving us over 25 one another statements, uh, exhorting us to pray for, serve, love, encourage, and comfort one another, to name a few. So we can't do one another things without one another right we have to have one another to do one another things right yeah. so uh, i remain convinced that people find hope and strength for their journey when they regularly g- gather in kingdom community for mutual support and wisdom among the many pa- passages that connect spiritual maturity with community life is ephesians 4 14 through 16 then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves And blown here and there by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness of the people in their deceitful scheming, instead of speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by supporting ligaments, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Spiritual growth assessments also confirm what the Bible teaches. The pop- popular reveal survey used by thousands of churches confirms the essential role of community in spiritual development. Those most committed to Christ, or in this reveal survey called Christ-centered, had the highest partici- ra- participation rates in groups and other forms of kingdom communities, such as spiritual friendships, serve teams, or spiritual mentors. Many said that small groups was still the core component of community, community life for them, even though they voluntarily participated in other expressions of community. Even when churches no longer offered official groups or required participation in group membership, groups for membership, people grouped anyways, even creating their own. No one committed to walking with Jesus wants to do the Christian life alone. It's clearly taught in the Bible and confirmed with the data that intentional community is essential for life change. So spiritual growth is for everyone and we need one another to make that happen. So when we're inviting the presence in, we are inviting that to happen with each other. But sometimes I think we expect spiritual formation success from other people, right? Like if Pastor Josh led a group, certainly his group would experience that sort of spiritual transformation. Or if Dallas Willard, we've heard a lot of quotes from him tonight. If, if he did it, surely discipleship would take place. Or if Pastor Lee Cummings, the, the pastor who did, who did um, Landmark Assembly, if he led a group like surely that group would see discipleship take place or spiritual growth take place. And I think sometimes people get overwhelmed with the idea of I'm not a pastor or I'm not that spiritual or I'm not that smart or I'm not a theologian or I don't know all the answers to all the Bible questions and I can't do all that stuff. So how is spiritual development going to take place in the group that I lead or I participate in? But the thing is, is those are just regular people. Mm -hmm. They're just pursuing God. They're not saints. They don't have anything extra that we don't have access to. They're just seeking to make themselves available to the transforming grace of God in every part of their lives. It's, um, they're, no, they're no more unique or special than anyone else in this room. There's nothing stopping anyone else from participating in those kinds of things. It's just allowing the Holy Spirit to move. Yes, they may have studied. Yes, they may have more credentials, whatever. The thing is, is spiritual transformation can happen in any group that you're participating in if you're inviting the presence of God in because it's not on you to make it happen. You're not doing it. You're just facilitating it, right? So I think that lasting change requires partnership and mutual engagement of others in the body of Christ and a partnership with the Holy Spirit. That is what the church is supposed to be doing. I think we get a little bit too caught up in, I can't do it on my own well you are not supposed to Todd Hunter in uh, Christianity Beyond Belief puts it this way regarding the need for a community to practice and proclaim the good news of Jesus to the world we are a cooperative friends with Jesus living in creative goodness for the sake of others in the power of the Holy Spirit he affirms that it takes community of friends living in the name of Jesus to change one another and transform the world thankfully there are people throughout the ages who have experienced this kind of life and serve as our guides And apart from a few mystics called to a more solitary life of prayer and spirituality, our spiritual ancestors will tell you that the intentional group life centered on communal living and in the way of Jesus is a major contributor to the lasting progress and permanent change. This is what people called the early church, people of the way, not the people of the doctrinal statement, not the people of the political party, not even the people of the book. Long before they were called Christians, they were called the people of the way. The remarkable love and lifestyle of this group was so powerful and so unique and so transforming that it set them apart. They were called the people of the way. Spiritual growth is both an opportunity and a possibility for every Christ follower. Every every team, every prayer circle, every small group in the church has the potential to become a a catalytic change oriented community for the people in pursuit of a new way of life. Every small group has this potential for their little group, for their, for their area, for their community, for their church. You don't have to have special permission. You don't have to have special credentials. You don't have to have a special uh, set of letters behind your name. You don't have to have a special title in front of your name. You don't have to have any of that stuff. All you're doing is inviting the presence in and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and submitting to that. The only thing is, it does take effort. This kind of growth takes effort. Something that sometimes grace-focused people consider downright hearsay when it comes to spiritual things. We're not talking about work. We're talking about effort. So I think some people are like, wait, wait, wait. You have to earn it? So it talks about, go ahead and look up the phrase, make every effort in the Bible. Peter, Paul, the writers, of Hebrews, Jesus, they all talk about make every effort. Why? Is it because they've given up on grace? No, just the opposite. Grace makes effort possible. Mm -hmm. The spiritual life takes effort. We don't drift into maturity any more than we drift into physical fitness or academic excellence or artistic brilliance. And we don't simply wander into deep, transforming community either. Words like strive and labor and effort are not foreign in the Bible or to spiritual growth. In fact, they're used often confirming the need for brothers and sisters to band together so that we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's Hebrews ten twenty four. In interviews and meetings with Dallas Willard, he would say, God is opposed to earning but not effort. The difference is that effort is powered by grace while earning is fueled by pride. Mm-hmm. Becoming a Christ-like community has change, uh, that changes lives requires vulnerability, honesty, Self awareness and the willingness to be truly changed by the spirit and the scriptures. Jean Venier, in his book Community and Growth, describes what a community does to produce change. And this falls a little bit in line with what Molly had just talked about. This quote says Community is the place where our limitations, our fears, and our egoism is revealed to us. We discover our poverty and our weakness, our inability to get along with some people, our mental and our emotional blocks our affective and sexual disturbances, our seemingly insatiable desires, our frustrations, our jealousies, our hatred, and our wish to destroy. While we are alone, we could believe that we loved everyone. Now that we are with others, living with them all the time, we realize how incapable we are of loving and how much we denied others and how closed in on ourselves we are. Community is a place where the power of the ego is revealed and where it is called to die so that we become one body giving much life. Dying to self and becoming people of the way is not always easy. We must stand on our identity in Christ, remembering who we really are and what the gospel is doing in us. We must understand how the word has the ability to shape us as we commit to the transforming practice of community life. It's not, that's, it's not easy, but it's worth it. So we make every effort make every effort persisting in prayer, working through conflict, listening with intensity, serving despite weakness, leading with diligence. In doing so, we will not earn God's favor. We already have that, but we will grow in grace. We will sharpen our focus and we will reap the rewards of faithfulness as scripture promises. Whatever we do, we, do, we don't do it alone. In community, we will discover what real transformation looks like. Ordinary people like you and me meeting in average small groups led by everyday leaders, fueled by the transforming grace of God, empowered by his spirit. It's a messy process, this kingdom community thing. It takes effort. Mm -hmm. But the church is called to live in community for the oneness and the sake of others. That's what we're called to do. If we want, if we are truly inviting the presence of God into the groups that we're leading, it's going to be messy. We're going to see people transforming. We're going to see marriages get pushed. We're going to see people get pushed. We're going to see frustrations. We're going to see the real and the raw. I'll say the first time that we had a marriage hit crisis in our group, I was like, what am I doing wrong? Why is this happening? And then it happened again, and then it happened again, and then it happened again. And I was like, why? Why? Is my group falling apart? And then I realized it was, beca- it was because we were being real. Mm-hmm. We were being real with people. And we were not creating safe places where marriages could just fall apart and no one knew about it. There was confrontation when that stuff happened. People were being called out when their marriages were hitting ro- rocky parts. And we were praying for them. And we were loving them. And we were starting to see restoration. We weren't creating safe spaces for marriages to fall apart. We weren't creating status quo where sin didn't get called out. We weren't creating, it's okay, just do whatever. We weren't creating those kinds of spaces. So we were facing real things that real people deal with. And at first, it took me by surprise. I didn't understand why people were so messy. But then I realized it's through that that we were all growing. We were inviting the Holy Spirit in, we we're saying, "Hey, send us real people. Help us grow together." And he did. And I'm so thankful for it. Because when he sends you real people and you get to really get in the trenches with those people and you get to see God work, nothing nothing grows your faith like seeing a marriage restored. Mm-hmm. Like seeing people grow in the things that you never thought they'd get past. Like seeing people recover from things that that seemed So far beyond repair. When you see people overcome the things that they couldn't get past. You get to do life with people. You get to experience all of the things that make makes humans human. Mm -hmm. And you get to partner with them on that. And you get to see God work in their lives. And it's by inviting the Holy Spirit in, inviting the presence of God in that we get to do that, and then we get to grow alongside people. Mm -hmm. So it's for the sake of others and, and the sake of the body of Christ and the oneness of the body, the greater body of Christ, that we do
1: this. And messy, it, it's, it is. Like, it's so rewarding, and you get to see the transformation, but it's scary. It, and I think a lot of us, we run from that, because it's hard to acknowledge that sometimes, and it's hard to live in the space of weakness. And we avoid it at all costs, you know, uh, especially when it's in front of other people. But I think there's a real beauty, and there is – proof in scripture of how God invites our weakness to transform that. Um, and I'm from my own experience, even one of the biggest areas of weakness I struggled in in college was just a really, really rough season of loneliness where it was heavy, uh, where I would always try out at, like to be out on campus because it was the, the lie I could hide behind that if I'm around people, I'm not really lonely. But it, and when I would go back to my dorm, it was like, I could feel all the air leaving the room. And I just felt the loneliness inside just overwhelming. And it was such a hard season. And then leaving college, it wasn't as rough in that, but I was still dealing with the aftermath of that and feeling like the self-place insecurities and hurt from past relational experiences and projected fears of unmet needs. And I found myself in this season of just being really desperate for, relationships that were deeper and meaningful and not this stereotypical or surface level uh, relationships specifically with Christian women and so at the church I was attending at the time I reached out to a peer and I was just quote-unquote honest or what I thought at the time was honest and Was telling her, you know, I'm struggling in this, and I just, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go deeper with someone, and I just thought instantly she's gonna hear this from me, and she's gonna hear this invitation, and she's gonna be like, yes, I'll be your best friend, and we'll do this together. And, and she didn't get the hint. You know, time went on, and that relationship didn't seem any better or deeper, or like that longing wasn't fulfilled. And so what happened was cue the pity party of yeah, see, you were vulnerable, and look what happened, right? But it was at that time that the Lord brought the Scripture Proverbs 18.24 to me, uh, which talks about that he or she who has friends must themselves be friendly. And I felt like very quickly, he just, the Holy Spirit unwrapped something very lovingly, but very, like, gut-punched. And I wrote it out, so I want to stick to those words. But said, if you have been crying out for this need, but aren't willing to do anything yourself about it. You are sitting back pretending vulnerability, but you leave the risk and action completely on the other person, so that if they do not act as you desire, you have something to point back to to affirm the pity party song you've been singing. You're afraid that if you really try and still don't find that friendship, that that will be too devastating a blow. You are complacent and afraid. If you really want this, you must be what you desire. Are you the friend to anyone you're asking someone to be for you? And I just felt like instantly, like that, the check of you're, you're claiming vulnerability, you're cl- claiming you're pursuing community, but you're not really doing anything to pursue that. You're not letting people in on the real. And, and it wasn't easy or rapid that I was obedient to that. It took a couple of years, um, and even through New Song, when I got here, that's when I started my His group. And it came from that place of that need and that, that weakness and that weak area. And I literally called the group His, I mean, it's still that name, <laughs> His BFF. And I did that to, to be honest and be vulnerable and said, anybody who's going to ask to join this group, like I'm going to explain, this is why I'm starting this group. I want to have women community that I can go deep with, that can challenge me and grow me, and I can do the same for them. And this is where we're going to start. And that was vulnerable, and that was very honest. And I did that intentionally, and at first I would have run from that, but I realized in doing that, that targeting that place of a need, that that was for me. Um, But it it invited, it gave permission to other people to be vulnerable too. That they may not have that exact need, but in being vulnerable, it gives them permission to be real and raw and let God move in on that area of weakness and that area of need. And it also created more buy-in because this is now a real need. I need this in my life. I've been desperate for this for years and now I'm claiming it for all people to see. And so I can't just like easily put this group away and like, oh, but it's okay. I tried and move on. It's gonna hurt a little bit more if I do that. So there's buy-in. And the more I'm bought in, the more other people are gonna buy in to the group because they feel that. Everyone has been to something that if no one else wanted to be there, like, it's not fun to be there. But when everybody's excited, you get excited, right? So in having the real need and being really vulnerable, it, it changed the dynamic of the group. And so I share that story in that perspective because I think one of the hindrances for people to jump into hosting a group or to jump into being a bigger part of the group that you're in or just feeling like the group that you're in currently, that community, maybe you're stuck and you guys don't know how to go to this next level that you're pursuing. I think part of that comes from this place that we don't embrace all of who we are. The reality is, is we all go through things in life. We all have needs. We all have struggles. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're on a path of, like, complete rebellion against the Lord. It's just we're human, and we live in a fallen world. Uh, but we oftentimes don't – we're not honest with that. We, we keep a facade, and we veil that from, from people, and we veil that from God. But we – There's a beauty in embracing that, and it's not about, like, glorifying in those things, right? I didn't create the group just to all get together and talk about how we don't have friends. The point was to challenge that and grow in that, you know, and not stay there. Um, But you will never grow in anything you don't challenge. You will never grow in anything you don't unearth. Thinking about a plant, right? Right. Plants grow because you prune them, and you take out the weeds, and you cultivate things in the environment, and you take care of it. You don't just ignore the problem. So growth happens in that time. Paul describes his weak point like a thorn and an irritant that he begged God over and over to take away, but God didn't. And instead, he, he discovers that God was going to work through that when he talks about in 2 Corinthians. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So if we're waiting for this qualifying factor to move to be unleashed so that we can really have these community groups like we've imagined them to be, then we're going to be waiting around a long time. And we're reading, honestly, from a Bible that's not really there. Because the Bible that talks about biblical community and lists these people that practiced community for our model, none of them were perfection. Like, none of them were perfect people. Right? Paul previously killed all of his would-be members. Of his community. That's not a great community group to start with. <laughs> Peter didn't even want to be a part of his community group. He denied it, and he was the flaky participant. They're not great community people, but God still worked through them and transformed them, and they were definitely marked for the church, right? The early biblical Christians, they were filled with people like fishermen, tax collectors, doctors, demon possessed people, sinners, social outcasts. So, the question really tonight is like, what is that area that maybe you've discounted, that weakness, that struggle that actually has primed your influence for your community? Where is your biggest need? Perhaps that is the core of your community culture. Perhaps the area of need for you or for your group members, the point of weakness, the thing that bothers you the most in your group. That is something the Holy Spirit is highlighting as an irritant to you. And perhaps that is the very thing that that you feel is lacking, is an opportunity that God has purposed. So, where you can start with what you have, you can start with where you're at. You can start with that weakness. In Acts chapter three, Peter's walking by the temple and he notices a, a lame man, and uh, it's the famous verse that says, "Silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have, I give you." And we don't typically use that to talk about community, but I think it, it does serve a good purpose because Peter could have seen this man and just stopped and said, yeah, like this is your financial need, you're destitute, you're lame, like let me meet this need. And that was a need for this man. But Peter looked at him and he saw the need within the need, the deeper thing. And he was willing to participate and give what he did have. Community groups, they do happen because of details, like the place that you're meeting at, what you're going to talk about, activities you're going to do. Those are important. But the most significant component is the spiritual component of community groups. And sometimes we forget about that or we neglect it. Greater than the details, you have Christ within you, the hope of glory. Is this an offering you recognize as having and an offering you're willing to give? So no matter if you have the largest house with the best accommodations or um, many, many hours in the week to to plan your group perfectly and you can pray over it for 24 hours ahead of time. Or if you have all the snacks in the world and, and all like the perfect children that never throw tantrums. Like you don't have to have all of that in place, but what you do have is you have Christ and you have the Holy Spirit in you. And that is the main thing. And if you're willing to offer that, that is where we see transformation and community happen. First Peter 4, 8 through 11 says, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sin. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has. Give, basically. It goes long and long. But whatever you have, we all have Christ within us. That's all the image that we bear. So if that's where we start from, if that's our grounding thing, then no matter what the details are, we're inviting the presence of, of God in.
0: And then the last thing before we leave, uh, I wanna just get really super practical with you guys. Um, one of the things that we have found that has happened organically in groups that have been really successful and have faced the test of time is that there is sort of a splitting of the leadership. We talked about how they, uh, in the Old uh, Testament, or excuse me, in, in Acts, they saw that they developed leadership within their groups. Um, so a couple of things happen that I find the groups that last the longest, they do this. They sp- share responsibility. So groups that meet in different houses as they go, year in and year out, typically last longer, so that the, all of the responsibility doesn't land on one, one household. I'm not saying it has to happen all the time. It doesn't have to happen for you guys, but something to consider. If you've been meeting at the same house year in and year out, maybe check in with your group and say, would somebody else like to host? I know it's a like when somebody in my group says, hey, we'd love to have it at our house. It's a blessing to me. I know it is. It doesn't have to happen all the time, but it's always a blessing when someone says, we'd love to have it at our house this time. It helps shoulder the responsibility. I kind of think of um, – as a family, we're a family, right? Our group's a family. Would one person in the family shoulder all the responsibility for the whole family? And if they did, how long would that last? And how long would it be healthy, right? right? If we're truly acting as a family, how are we supporting the family? The other thing that I've seen that happens organically is sort of this um, in-out-up structure. I sort of made this little graphic. You can thank me later. Um, (laughs) But there's this this idea of somebody who is leading this spiritual formation is the up person, somebody who's leading the uh, community is the in-person, and someone who's leading the mission is the out-person, so, and then all of that comes together for a group, so typically your up person helps create the environment of worship, prayer, and praise, they help ensure the conversation takes place in the group, is honoring the Lord, and is designed to push people towards transformational discipleship, they, um, usually ensure the flow of the group is on track and include some form of confession and prayer requests and they provide teaching content or group discussion topics your in-person welcomes connects and contacts new members helps existing members feel connected through regular updates remembering birthdays communication prayer requests prompts conversation and community outside of group time to include fun nights they may assist in hosting duties like i said switching houses up has best outcomes They initiate care responsibilities such as meal trains or cards for sick or in need group members, and they may help address conflicts when when needed. And the out person helps cast vision for the greater purpose of sacrificial mission, organize serve projects either independently or by determining when the group will serve as it serves Saturday together. They may organize financial support for missionaries within the church, or they may assist in leaders with organizing fun nights to support the kingdom community. So if you see here like the the spiritual up person and the in community, they sort of overlap with meeting. You have your spiritual up person and the out person, they overlap with serving and the in person and the out person overlap with fun and all together they make the group possible. This doesn't have to look exactly for your group. I would just recommend that if you have someone who's naturally good at connecting with people, allow that person to do that for your group. If they're the person that remembers birthdays every single time and that's not you, Empower them, because I know that's not me. If, if you have someone who is like very mission oriented or very um, serve oriented, allow them to help organize something like that, because that might not be you, but it might be somebody else. Uh, Debbie over here is part of the group called Oasis, and they have like a, a three-prong leadership approach. And I've seen basically exactly this form very organically, and it's been very successful. Um, There's no reason why it all has to land on somebody's shoulders just because you started the group. If we're looking at longevity, five, seven, ten years down the road, there's no reason why you can't ask for help and allow the rest of the family to come on board with you. Initially, it may not look that way. But as you start to learn your group and as you start to learn the patterns and the skill sets and the spiritual giftings that the people in your group have, allow them to help you. Allow them to, like, load the dishes, so to speak. Why wouldn't you? That's how families operate. This is how your group should operate, right? When we work, serve, love, and grow together, we are more likely to see the kind of revival and kingdom community that the early church did. We will see what Acts uh, 2.47 says, and every day the Lord added to their numbers those who are being saved. Let's pray so we can get you guys out to pick up your kiddos. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and celebrate kingdom community as you want to see it lord uh, we thank you that you are the author and the father of kingdom community that you are the you are community i pray a blessing over everyone in this room who committed and and gave of their tuesday night to sit here and learn about what it means to to offer community to your children i pray a blessing over them i pr- i pray a new anointing over them i pray that right now the holy spirit is giving them new ideas that he is prompting them of what it would look like to transform their group to more accurately reflect what it is you want done, that your presence would be so uh, tangible within their groups that they walk away and say, I didn't know a group could be like this. I pray that they, would, that they would draw people in, that they would live the gospel out loud, that it would be Jesus in them that draws others in. I pray that that they would be so on fire for what it means to be in kingdom community that it draws others in and say, I want to be a part of what you're doing, not just in your group, but I want to provide that for other people. I want to create spaces for others to come in and experience transformation in their life. I want to help be a part of living the gospel out loud. I thank you that you are inspiring people right now, that as this church grows, we need more people who are willing to live their life out loud for people, who are willing to open their homes up, and who are willing to invite people in. I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you that you are the one who will bring them in. We love you. We praise you. It's in your holy and mighty name we pray. Amen.